Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. Welcome to the <laughs> Renegade podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses who don't just do what they're told. We're shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of and moving the needle against the gravity of the status quo. Our guest today is uh, a bit of, yeah, she goes, I don't know, would you say beyond a box blower up or more like she like drop kicks that sucker? Yeah, rebel man, <laughs> like, rebel nurse. I just said, so it's Melissa Cortez is with us today. Um, and I, it's Labor Day today and I got caught off guard. So I sat down already discombobulated and came into a conversation between Melissa and Antra. And she's talking about like three different things in this training we're going to do. And I'm already life. feeling insecure. And Melissa, <laughs> you should imagine my, I my sat 14. down insecure and now it made it even worse. So let's start. Mel, just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where are you from, how'd you get yeah. here? So I'm a registered nurse. I got my bachelor's degree from Towson University in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, so awesome education because you're right near some of the best hospitals in the world. I was able to do like my psych clinical at Shepherd Pratt. You know, I was able to do some clinicals at Hopkins um, and then worked throughout the Baltimore DC area as a travel nurse for 10 years in critical care. Um, I've done anything from ICU to uh, pre-hospital to been a DON of an assisted living facility, um, home health, hospice, um, anything you can think of probably in nursing, I did it. Um, it used to really make my parents upset. They're like, why can't this girl keep a job? Um, well, I really did not like um, sacrificing my patient care and what my patients deserved at the basis of a system error. Um, so when I went to COVID, uh, went to COVID, I went to Mass Gen, which let me tell you, <laughs> COVID came to you. <laughs> best travel assignment I've ever had. And it was in the middle of a pandemic. So kudos to Mass Gen. Um, they did everything right within their capabilities. And it was oh, just wow. a pleasure to work for their organization during this time. Although I was one of the few nurses that spoke Spanish. So I ended up translating um, at the height of the pandemic, we had 250 COVID positive intubated patients in-house, um, which meant that I was floating through about nine to 10 ICUs. Some of them were makeshift ICUs in which we had floor nurses that flexed up to help assist us. Um, we ran out of sedation medication. We were paralyzing people awake, um, which made me round on, on, the, on these patients and speak to them in Spanish and tell them, you know, sorry that you're paralyzed, you can't move, we're taking the best care of you that we can, their heart rates would skyrocket, you know, it was just very traumatic for me, because it was the same conversation. So I was adopted, my parents are um, from America, um, but my biological family is from Colombia. And so I grew up speaking a little bit of Spanish, but not much. Well, let me tell you, I can have a wonderful palliative care intubation conversation with a family with perfect Spanish now. And unfortunately, because I was forced to do it over and over for multiple family members from the same families. Um, so oh. that was really traumatic. Some of our patients we had there for 30 plus days um, intubated in the same unit. So it, it was afterward, I can remember like, I was um, in the evenings, me and my roommate uh, had two roommates that were phenomenal. Um, they were a married couple that had come to travel on the assignment. We lived in Boston together in Beacon Hill, by the way. It was so beautiful. Yeah, Unfortunately, so nice. it was a pandemic. But we lived above this restaurant called Antonio's. And he would cook for us all the time. And he'd be like, hey, you want to come down and get something to eat? And he was like, we got extra spinach pasta. I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And he'd be like, here's a <laughs> bottle of wine. You just sit way over the hell over there. You know, he didn't want to get sick. But... <laughs> He were awesome. And wow, you speak, your, you speak Spanish and Boston. Right? I speak. It's so spooky up there. No. So they would clap for us in the evening. And it was just, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Because I really, I worked at a pulmonology MICU with Dr. Stephen Selinger in Baltimore, Maryland. He won Baltimore's top pulmonologist 18 years in a row. Um, and that's where I got my training. And I swear, everything that he ever put us through prepared us for this. Except that the disease looked nothing like anything I'd ever seen. So afterward, I went to Sedona to quarantine. 
Um, my kid had asthma back then we weren't sure, you know, like whether if I went home, they would get deathly sick, you know, that kind of thing. So when I went there, I had this like big spiritual awakening and I was like, oh, wow, meditation, mindfulness. And then I realized that I had like a significant dose of PTSD, like bad. I was like, I could not be the only person going through this. So what, then wait, I kinda, wait, what made you realize that? Um, one day I was, and I share the story because it's terrifying and I think it could happen to anyone. I was in the bathroom and I had three little children at this time I was going through a divorce and um, they're only 16 months apart, all three boys. And I remember thinking to myself, they were screaming and crying. And I had just come off like four 12s in a row at a rural community hospital. And I was like, I'm going to hurt one of these kids. So I called the neighbor and had the neighbor come get the children. And I left and I was like, I need help. Um, and I was having the night sweats. I went to a therapist and they were like, you have PTSD. I had night sweats. Um, I was having, you know, anxiety attacks. Um, my hair was falling out. I wasn't eating. Um, it was just, and I didn't realize it for what it was. And I said, man, these veterans and people like that have been going through this for years and nobody's doing anything for them. Like, why can't I just go somewhere and get help? So I decided to kind of reach out to kind of some alternative therapies. I wasn't really interested in taking a lot of medications. My body doesn't do well with that. I can't even take children's cough medicine without sleeping for like 48 hours. <laughs> so I was like, I can't take any of that shit. I'll never wake up. So um, I started meditating, doing mindfulness. And I was like, why is this working? As, a nur as an ICU nurse, I'm like, you're not going to throw this woo-woo at me and convince mm -hmm. me that it works. So um I started looking at neuroscience and just doing the research behind it. And that's how cortex was born. Um, you know, the cortex in the brain is the largest site of neuronal integration in the brain. And I really want it to be a resource. We want cortex to be the largest site where nurses can come and get whatever resource that they needed at the time. Um, and unfortunately with the pandemic and people crazy about finances, it was really hard to get this started. Plus hospital systems didn't really want to invest in their nurses. Wait, 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 more... we're going to stick, stick a pin in there because I still want to know what happened to you. So you went to Sedona cause I'm still like, it's like, yeah, wait, 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 you missed up. don't go over the punchline here. I, I need, I, I need to have this part of <laughs> and I satisfied. myself through breath work. I swear See? to God, I need to know this. <laughs> so that so breath work was what did it how'd you find I that learned, wait I you learned I You've... learned through a good friend okay that the science behind it mm -hmm. so your cortex your cortex right is in two different hemispheres right it folds upon itself and that's where when you practice breath work and mindfulness you're actually synchronizing those two cortices and you're basically growing portions of the brain. Like monks, uh, when they do MRIs on monks, they can grow their brain tissue by mindfulness and meditation. And one of the things that breath work does is like, say you're being chased by a bear, right? So you're in the sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight. You can, by your breath, convince yourself that you are no longer in that situation because your breath and your cardiac system are connected. So we are able to synchronize that and allow it to kind of transition yourself. Um, so the way that you do that is by using the breath as the anchor. So you take a slow um, inhale and the force of the inhale has to match the length and the force of the exhale. And this is called resonance frequency breathing or box breathing. Naturally, the military uses this, like when the Marines are running for long distances and they have to lay down and take a shot, you know, they have to really... Uh, stabilize their heart rate and they can't you have to squeeze the trigger softly and be able to make that shot they use this breathing technique and so then I was thinking well how the hell do I convince all these really smart burnt out nurses that they should be taking deep breaths during their day right they're going to be like screw you Mal like what do you know totally so I said I have to present it from a neuroscience perspective number one. So I have to get the science behind it. So we did a ton of research. We looked at tons of articles. Um, and then the second portion of it was by making it practical. How can it be done at the bedside? So we created mindfulness in a code, which is basically every two minutes when you hear the, the, uh, when you have to check a pulse, everybody in the room collectively takes that slow, deep breath together to calm their nervous system. Because what it does is it allows for higher information recall. So when you're so, no longer worried about the bear, you can think. 
did you, so what did you find as you started doing this breath work for yourself before you decided that, oh my gosh, every nurse needs this? I noticed that when I was able to take those slow 3D breaths Mm -hmm. and then also combine that with mantra. So like for me, it was always, I was getting a divorce. I was now like crazy from COVID. Plus I left my kids to go to COVID. Oh my God, I'm a terrible mother, right? So I... I, but if a man did it, it would be fine, right? He was just a good father and a hero. But me, it was like, oh, Mm. you left your babies. So I discovered that when you can change your thought pattern, you're actually rewiring your brain. It's it's a neuro integration. So I used to think, oh my God, I'm such a bad mom. You know, I'm such a bad mom. When I started saying that, I would say, stop. I don't agree with that thought. Wrong mantra. Understanding, <laughs> understanding that your thoughts are not yourself. You control your thoughts. And that's something that's really key for nurses out there now is like there's so much chaos, but the only thing that you can control is yourself. So that's what we teach at Cortex is, okay, pick a mantra that you like. So I picked, okay, I'm not a bad mom. I'm a busy mom and I'm doing the best I can and my best is always good enough. And I started combining that mantra with the breath work. And I would sometimes be saying it through sobbing tears, like not believing it at all. Now I never say I'm a bad mom and I never talk bad about myself. So it's kind of those, those, because I rerouted the neural pathways. My brain doesn't respond to that because emotions are just a chemical response to something. And your brain doesn't realize that you might not actually be in this situation. Like I had an instance where the patient was going to self-extubate and we were trying to put PPE on and run in. And when I ran in, he grabbed me and pulled my mask off. And now he's aerosolizing COVID into the room. And I used to have nightmares about that because back then we didn't know anything. I mean, we didn't know how, how bad it was. We, we thought that that would kill you. You know what I mean? So I used to have these terrible dreams and I would find myself just driving and think about that and my heart rate would go up and so your brain doesn't know the difference between a trauma situation as a memory or it actually happening so what you have to do is use the breath work and the and the self-talk to change the thought so it's like oh my gosh I'm thinking about this okay this is really not happening brain I'm okay I'm driving my car I'm self-aware I'm here, I'm in this space, I control my response to this situation, and I choose to respond instead of react. And the best way to do that is by focusing yourself with the breath. Because the cardiac system and the respiratory system are connected, so if you slow your breath, the heart is like, oh, okay, we're okay, we can slow down the heart rate, and then the adrenal glands slow down, and everything else slows down. If you're living in a high-stress situation, it's like, If you're driving a car and you're constantly revving the engine and you never give that engine time to recycle down and through the gears, you'll blow your engine, right? If you just like, and you keep going, that's the same thing you're doing in a high stress environment. Cortisol keeps being released. You know, that's where we see the weight gain, the stress, the lateral violence towards each other, because now you're an oppressed group and your response is to oppress the others around you. Um, So stress has actually been proven to cause lateral violence and burnout and, you know, obviously death and suicide and all the other terrible things that we have going on. Melissa, were you surprised by the change in yourself when you started doing this? I mean, because... I, I too, oh, the woo-woo, like, okay, maybe I'll try it, but I don't know if it's going to work. Were you surprised? Did you, did you, uh, yeah, I felt like at first I was like, this is bullshit, right? Excuse my French, but (laughs) I was like, I was like, this is crap. Like, how does this actually work? You know what I mean? Uh And then when I started using it, it was like, wow, this is, this is really awesome. Like, um, do you felt, you felt better? Yes. Did you, and so what about the PTSD? So I started realizing that like the instances were becoming fewer and fewer and I was able to work through them because I was self-aware, right? Because I was like taking the deep breaths and I was looking around. I was like, oh, I'm thinking about that time where this happened, where this particular event happened. Mm -hmm. So now I realize that it's not happening now. You did the best you could. And a lot of it is guilt. I have a lot of tremendous guilt in that, I wasn't able to save all these people. Like that was the hardest part, I think, for everyone was like, oh, well, we did 
we're used to saving people that aren't even supposed to be saved. Like you got that grandma that you're like, why are we doing all these things to this person in the ICU? And now we couldn't save anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That was, that that was really the trauma. That must've been hard. Yeah. Isn't it amazing though, when you see that in your life and, and once you see it, and we realize very few people, people go through their whole lives and never watch their own thoughts. Mm. Like so many people go through their whole lives and it's like, it's like being born again, almost. I mean, <laughs> like when you become the watcher of your own thoughts and you can see that that's not you, Yes, you're the one listening to them. Yes, exactly. It's, and it's you are amazing. not your Yeah. And you're not what other people think about you either. And if you don't like the way you respond or you don't like what you're thinking, then change it. Yeah. And what you're talking about, what you're doing and what you did for yourself and now what you're helping so many others do is, yeah, it's one thing to become the witness and see that that's not you. It's a whole other gear to be able to create something new. Yeah. And it was like, even though the hospital systems didn't want to buy it, they're like, oh, okay. You have, we have these beautiful videos, which I'm going to give you guys because you need to put them up. But we have these beautiful videos on neuroscience and how, how it all works together and different times where you can do the breath work. Like one of my favorite places to use it is actually when you go to the Pixis or the Omnicell, because you can put your finger on there and you can't really do anything else, but wait for it to read your finger. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the perfect time to start your breathing like slow, deep breath and do try and make the force of it match, match the inhalation to the exhalation. Cause you can't think about anything else. Cause your brain can't think about two things at once. It's impossible. So if you're thinking about the brain, the breath, you literally give yourself a break from everything else. And it actually, by slowing your system allows you to have higher information recall. So that's why a lot of times you go into the pictures, you're like, crap, what was I going to get in the supply room? Well, if you start taking that slow, deep breath, a lot of times your brain will automatically have the recall, but you have to be intentional about it. You can't just like, you know, like- I'm surprised that they didn't find that compelling because to me, it seems like a huge um, increase in productivity if you're able to, if you're able to stop, you know? I think a lot of leadership really found it interesting, but there's so many hoops to jump through first of all, hospitals are on 18 month revenue cycles. So if you don't get in there by July of whatever year, you're not going to get in. And the second thing is, you know, once you get in, it has to be a yes from this person and this person, mm-hmm. and this person, and this person, and this person, all the way to the top. By the time you get there, you know, they're thinking, oh, well, we heard about it. So we'll have, we'll task somebody internally to create this program. But the problem with that is your internal people are already so exhausted with Mm -hmm. just maintaining quality and the other things. They don't have time to make something new, even though it seems as simple as, you know, taking deep breaths. So we did create some free resources to give to people. We did some webinars, but really ultimately what I was finding was that the nurses didn't even want to deal with it because it's just like being in an abusive relationship. If you're still experiencing the trauma every day, you can't accept the healing. So, and one of the things that they were saying when we were doing the research was, well, I don't even feel physically safe in my environment, physically safe and supported in my environment. So how am I supposed to absorb this new information? Even if yeah. it's short and to the concise and to the point, I just don't have the means to, to say yes right now. And financially, a lot of organizations didn't have the means to say yes, because this is best delivered at the bedside which requires me flying out my team or whatever and being there and teaching them and being a, a resource to them. And I think a lot of hospitals are really scared that bedside nurses who are notoriously angsty are going to come in and be like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this or I can't believe you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we called Cortex a light and love company and our little logo was it was a, a light bulb was because we really believe in that alchemy, the ability to take something so terrible, COVID and all the systems issues and transform it into something positive. So we never focus on, there might be negative things that we've seen. I've been in 18 hospitals as a traveler. I have seen it all from small 100 bed hospital all the way to Hopkins 3000 beds. So I've seen the gamut. You're such a renegade girl. Oh my God. But I refuse to be awfulizing like the rest of them. If I wanted to go work on a unit and talk crap about everything all day and be miserable, then that's what I would do. 
but that's not what I want to do. You know, I really want to be a positive example because I believe that the profession in order to be looked at as a profession needs to elevate to that point. We need to stop bullying each other and stop taking it out on our patients, which is one of the things that we saw when we were doing all of our security stuff. Because after the mindfulness portion, we started getting that the survey results saying that they didn't feel physically safe. And I'm like, man, that's a higher priority than teaching them mindfulness, you know, is how do we make them physically safe? And then all the shootings start happening. And it's just the, the violence is escalating and nobody's really focused an effort in the private marketplace to do that. Um, you know, HR 1195 is coming out, the workplace violence bill, but even security experts have taken a look at it, you know, our collaborators, and they're like, this is so vague. What does it really mean? How are we going to be able to afford to get hospitals access to all of this? You know, so there's a lot of big systems issues that we have to fix, but I believe that the way to do that is by running parallel to the systems and offering <laughs> a solution for the nurses because the <laughs> systems are not going to absorb it rapidly. Not that they don't want to. I always tell nurses, hospital administrators could go off, especially CEOs, and go run a Fortune 500 company that has nothing to do with healthcare and make twice as much money as what they're doing. But they it, choose healthcare for a reason. Yeah, we talk, we've been talking a lot about parallel economies and parallel ways of doing stuff lately. And I just saw when you were talking, it's my dog is knocking at the door. I wonder if it's going to stop. Um, I can't hear it. So <laughs> I know, but I can, and I'm like highly distractible. So <laughs> we'll see what happens anyway. But it's like the hospital medical system is an entity that is stuck in its same neural pathways. It has yeah. no self-awareness, totally. you know? Huh? Totally. Yeah, well, it, it does. It needs to take a pause. They need a fresh breath of air, which is what you people and my people are trying to do. Yeah, yeah, but but that it, it is. It's like it's it's like that um, PTSD. It's got PTSD from its own of its own doing, and it's mm -hmm. not self aware. So the people who see this need to start something parallel that works because we know it'll work. All right. Yep. I mean, you got the science to prove it, but. Like what you were describing, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs all over yes. the place. You, yes. If you don't, if people don't feel safe, they're not going to be open to becoming better. They're and just trying gonna, to survive. You're right? not going to hire anybody and you're not going to retain anybody. Yep. So there's like four different metrics we look at from a Cortex standpoint of, and I say we were an initiative-based company, which means that we find an initiative and we find a solution for it. And that's what we run with that. So I made that up. I don't even know if that's real. I made that shit Wait, up. Say that again. I like it. Sounds really good. <laughs> Sounds say it. very say it again. Yeah. Thank you. We are an initiative-based company, which means we find an initiative and we run towards it, not away from it. So um, what we were finding was that really in the safety and security realm, um, there's a lot of really innovative people in the private sector doing some awesome things. And again, the cortex is the largest site of neuronal integration. So we want it to be that hub. How can we, as clinicians, as the experts, transform what the private sector is doing and bring it into healthcare in a really innovative way? Um, so that's kind of what we're doing um, at this point with the, the protective clothing. I said, what's the easiest thing that I can do? Give a nurse a t-shirt that prevents her from being bit, cut, or stuck with a needle, um, you know, create the, the blunt force trauma vest where if you get kicked in the chest, it disperses it. So it doesn't, you know, cause organ to trauma. Um, so, and there's so many different stories of just instances of violence where if they had had some situational awareness training, how many nurses do you know, if you ask them when you walk in the room, what do you do? Do you look around and see who's in the room and assume that they're not your friend and they're not going to treat you like a normal human? No, you go in the room, you take care of your tasks because you're busy and burnt out and you need to get through your day. But if we're self-aware, we understand that even if that patient is yelling at me, that has nothing to do with me. And I choose to respond as opposed to 
escalate the situation. And you can give them all the CBI training in the world you want to give them. You can give them all the de-escalation training in the world. But if you have not been assaulted by a patient, then you do not know what that feels like. Yeah. And our research has shown that like 98% of the nurses that we uh, interviewed or PAs, CNAs, anybody at the bedside, 98% of them have been threatened to be assaulted. And that the threat of assault was just as bad as the actual assault itself. Because again, the brain does not know if it's actually happening or we're preparing for it. So once you understand that it's a chemical response and that fear and our initial reaction to fear, right? If you corner a dog, what are they going to do? They're going to bite and bark and try and get out of it. Nurses are the same way. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you right back because I'm stressed. And it's not that we're not empathetic or that we don't understand that these patients are sick. It's that we are so disrespected during a normal 12 hour shift by administration, systems issues, whether they realize it or not, it's happening. That we, in turn, have a difficult time controlling that response, and in turn, we react. And we definitely, by teaching the self-awareness first, and the breathing, and all the neuroscience crap that you can give away in 20 seconds, then we can transition to the situational awareness. Okay, now that you're calm, and you're walking around in a state of heightened awareness and calmness, what does it look like now? When you have that active shooter come in, or you have that violent family member, or you have that violent patient, how do you respond to that? And how do you respond to that as a team? Because now we've diminished the lateral violence and the bullying against each other, because we're all taking accountability for our own space. And now we can work together as a team to prevent that. So there's a lot of elements that kind of build together in, in what we're doing. Um, and we've been so grateful to all of the people that have just been like, this is the best idea ever, or you should definitely do this. Um, one of those companies is PPSS from the UK. They make the Bite Pro. So they make this clothing that's slash proof, bite proof, and it's pretty standard in UK psych facilities. And there are some places here in the United States that are using it, especially school systems. Um, can but you it talk, really- can you, I, I don't know if it's like industry secret or something, but can you talk about, I'm just okay. What, what makes a shirt bite proof and so flash proof? Technology. This guy that invented it is like this special forces, like uh, UK badass dude. He's awesome. Like I was so intimidated <laughs> to talk to him. I like messaged him on LinkedIn. Like he'll never answer me. He's like, you want to schedule a call? I'm like, shit. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Like, so we get on the phone. He's like, he's like German. I think he's German. He's going to kill me that I don't know this, but he, he's German. <laughs> oh, we are with you, Melissa. We think what you're doing is great. We're going to help you. I'm like, oh my God, I don't even have that. Uh, okay. And so after the- <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> They're like, where did this come from? I was like, we're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. And then I found a private security company called Covered Six. And they do the largest um, private security in the nation. Like they handle the security of Elon Musk's rockets. And they were like, Melissa, you need to get into healthcare. We can help, you know, we'll give you our resources. But the product itself is this, it almost looks like chain mail when you hold it up, but it's super light. I actually made one of our security guys get on the treadmill and run with it for like three miles. I was like, run with it. See if you get too hot. He's like, are you kidding me? I was like, I'm going to film you. He was so mad at me. Melissa, I'm so I just really quickly want to know you had PTSD. You found kind of this, you found this, what you said was that woo woo, but it worked. So you looked at the science, you figured out, you know, why it was working. It worked for you. Are you, did you then go out to find your team or how did that all transpire? Because you, you, like, I, I just, there's a little bit of a Speaking disconnect. Speaking of woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when you're on your path, the universe, God, whatever you believe it to be, will bring you the people that you need. When you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, um, so, so you had an idea. I had an idea. I went out my, actually a family member um, is, is a, she's like a graduate of the Neuro Meditation Institute. She's a dentist. Um, so we started writing all the content. Um, for the meditation mindfulness portion, got all that uh, uh, squared away. And then when the survey started coming back that it was really physical violence that the nurses were having the most trouble with, we pivoted in that direction. 
And my good friend, Sam was writing a paper, I believe for his bachelor's in security management. And he calls me up. He's like, you're a nurse, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, there's no way there's this lack of security in hospitals. I was like, oh yeah, there is. He's like, this is ridiculous. And he's like, why don't we do something about it? So then he starts writing and he's a Marine. He starts writing protocols, networks with another Marine um, that was an entrepreneur himself in the finance industry. And we start writing these protocols that are twofold in security. So for the security portion and the nurse, but also support. So like say a patient assaults a nurse, what is, depending on whether it's a verbal assault, physical assault, threat of violence, what's the, the actual protocol that we should follow? And then how should nursing leadership support that nurse? What are the mm-hmm. topics? And that's how the protocols are written, two part. And they meet all of OSHA's 2020 recommendations for workplace violence. So they're more concrete. And they just kind of found me because I was on this journey of doing what I was supposed to be doing. And now I have this great expert in neuromeditation and mindfulness and stress reduction, coupled with this team of Marines who literally have done this for the last 10 years or 10, 15 years of their careers Mm -hmm. um, and all over the world. And combine them. So now we hire veterans to teach the nurses at the bedside. And it's just been like this incredible journey that I'm so blessed to be on. And then that led you to, you seem like you're, you just don't stop. You're a total go-getter. You reached out on LinkedIn. And so that's where the, the, the scrub line came in. Yep. And so then um, Dan Weberg, who is just this awesome. We know who he is. Yeah. So Dan is incredible. um, And he's like one of my biggest mentors. We talk often. He's like, well, let me introduce you to this person. Let me introduce you to that person. And then we just start, they just start giving me advice. You know, I'm just this nurse that has an idea and people are so quick to help me. They really are. They're like, well, I know this person. Let me introduce you Mm -hmm. to this person. Ultimately, we would like to combine everything so that we can use virtual reality by putting the nurse into a virtual reality situation. Mm. He or she can donner off the, the, the protective clothing and use all the breathing techniques and all the mindfulness techniques that we have to mitigate the situation and clinically think through the best option before they actually are into that environment. So um, with the budgeting from the federal government for nursing education, um, we're hoping to kind of capitalize on some of that with the university systems and be able to start teaching this process of self and situational awareness as a nursing student as a med student so that when they get out into the hospital yeah. environment, they've already experienced some of this stuff that causes yeah. the trauma and they know it can happen. That's a great, they're prepared for it. That's There's, a great idea. It, it's such a dangerous situation that all nurses are put in that they've never, the closest breast so many of them have had with violence is in their mind. What right. could happen? And and then if you actually get a threat, it makes it worse. You can get PTSD just from the threat of it. Now you're, yep. but what you're talking about is actually role playing out in virtual reality, your first actual workplace violence yeah. situation. Yep. Like, so you're, you're developing the neural pathway in the virtual reality thing and you know what to do. Mm-hmm. It's not a surprise yeah. because I don't care how much training you get. And the first time that happens, that's out the door. And it's nursing leadership doesn't really know how to deal with it. They really, there's not a lot of nursing leaders who know what is, what to do in that situation after your brand new baby nurse that you've really fostered to be a great, excellent nurse is now just hit in the face by a patient, you know, and they have six to one ratio and they're so exhausted. And now you've got to tell them, okay, well, it happens. Go out there and take care of that patient again. Like that just doesn't, and this generation of nurses is different. Yeah, We're different. Like, let me tell you, 15 years ago, somebody hit me in West Baltimore. I've been like, all right, let me close the curtain and deal with this. Okay. (laughs) But now it's a (laughs) service line. Okay. It's a service line since HCAPS came about, you know, you know, I have been assaulted where a nurse manager actually gave the patient a gift card because I was rude to them afterward. Cause I said, you will not effing treat me that way. And he complained and he was sex. I was sexually assaulted by him. So, and she gave him a gift card, $25 gift card. Ah, uh, how long ago pregnant. was that? I was pregnant. Yeah, I, how long ago was that? That Ugh. was like 
yeah, like 10 years ago, but still, Ugh. I mean, that, that is just the type Terrible. of culture. Cause she didn't know that's what her person told her to do. I don't think it was per, I mean, she just didn't know. And so we really want to provide resources for not only the bedside nurse and nurses are so trendy, you know, you can sell anything on TikTok. You can give them anything on TikTok as long as it's valuable content that they can absorb, you know? So the idea of being able to get them to outfit themselves with the protective equipment and then having the training for their superiors to really help them deal with what's happening. And then there's no research in the space. I mean, uh, Mr. Gillespie has done a lot of research, but he's probably the only one that's done a lot of violence within healthcare research. And he uses the Maslow hierarchy of needs, but we need to do the research. So really combining with that tech company to do some biofeedback, putting biofeedback in the clothing would be phenomenal to be able to see what long-term effect this type of physical violence has on the nurses so that we can have the research to go to the hospitals and organizations and say, hey, this is definitely needed because of X, Y, and Z. Because you know, in, in healthcare, nothing is valid until you prove it. That's right. Who's Mr. Gillespie? Uh, he's a researcher that's done a lot of um, research in the uh, healthcare violence space. And okay. um, one of my team members, Victoria, is just like this brilliant person. She's brilliant. Okay. I'm like dumb compared to her. And as a CEO, <laughs> I will say, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Seriously. You know, that's, that's, I need people way smarter than me in all different avenues to be able to get this thing off the ground. So she has pulled a lot of research, not only in the violent space, but and most of it comes from him. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been a pleasure. And the ANA and the ENA, that's really one of their major initiatives is the workplace violence portion. But when you look at a security plan, for instance, from a hospital, even a large hospital, it's a couple pages. If it's stupid. Plan, it's so stupid. If you look at a security plan from a federal building, it's like 98 pages and they have like secured entrances. Like why in a high traffic zone? So we actually started networking with some airports to determine like what would be a good yeah, security a good idea. high stress, high volume, high mm -hmm. traffic, um, you know, and, and in order to secure that environment. So um, Covered Six is working with us to develop more modern protocols. The other thing that we teach is actual physical mitigation of the violence. So when you're assaulted or when the patient is threatening to assault you, what are you planning to do? And, right. And you can't do that. You can't. We have we've seen what happened with the police department and sometimes they're improper use of force um, and there is a proper way to do it. And it is the programs that are out there now are archaic. They're from 20, 25 years ago. Um, they're not designed for women. You know, 80 percent of the nursing workforce is women. So you can't keep relying on these male ED nurses to subdue every single patient. They have their own patient load. And if you talk to a male in regards to their situation in a stressful environment, like we did a lot of research with coding, with coding a patient um, because of COVID and the PPE. Nurse, a female nurse responds differently to that situation than a male nurse. A lot of times the male nurses are doing a lot of the physical um, CPR, the actual compressions. So mentally they yeah. tend to disassociate. And then later on in the day, they'll be like, damn, I just cracked all those ribs and did that. But it's a fleeting thought and it goes. Whereas a female really spends time thinking about maybe the emotional portion where they went to talk to the family or, you know, there's things, and this isn't, I'm not general, I'm just generalizing for, yeah. you know, but it's not for everyone, but men deserve to have the same sort of empathy and um, interaction after the fact that women do. And a lot of times the men on the unit start shouldering a lot of the emotional baggage from us females. Because um, so, we dump it on them, right? Right, it's because we dump it on them. <laughs> Hold and I my think bucket. There's, yeah, there's something really valuable about teaching women how to not only be self-aware and understand how to control our emotions and emotions are chemicals and blah, blah, blah but also how to mitigate a physical situation. Because one of the mm -hmm. things that we've learned is situational awareness, being aware first before anything happens, looking for the signs that something is going to happen because there's always signs. If you talk to yeah. a Marine and he's in an active shooter situation, it is much different than some mom who's never had that training. Yeah. Um, and the second portion is, you know, your voice, 
your voice is extremely powerful. And when it's probably your best weapon for self-defense from a woman, if a patient's saying you blah, 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 blah. And you're like, sir, now please calm down. He's not going to respond to that, you know, and there's a proper way to do it without escalating the patient. There's a proper way to do it without instigating the situation and making it worse, cussing back at them. You know, I, I probably would be guilty of something like that. But through my training and my experience in being in 18 different hospitals and seeing a lot of different environments, I've learned that, that by being strong and assertive, um, we also, for your listeners to use, we have this 45, uh, 45 degree angle or 90 degree angle approach. So Marines use this, police officers use this. Um, basically, when you walk into a room or into a, you approach a violent patient or escalating patient, you'll see an officer or a Marine come from the side. So say, say you walk in and the bed is here and the patient's sitting on the edge of the bed or the patient's in the bed and, you're, and, you're coming, and they're coming towards you. As they escalate, our training protocol teaches, even if it's a housekeeper out in the hallway or someone delivering trays, if they hear the patient escalating towards that nurse or that caregiver, they are trained to come in and stand at the foot of the bed. All You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You're just there. Mm -hmm. That patient is much more less likely to get up out of bed or attempt to assault someone if another person is present. And also you can simply put your hand on their shoulder, sit them back down to bed. And so that one person is distracting the patient, the other person can come behind and apprehend the patient if, if need be safely and securely without anybody getting hurt. Um, so that's one of the techniques. Also, what did you call yourself. that again? 90? The 90 degree approach, the 90 degree approach. Um, and another thing that we teach is room setup. So when you walk into the room, and you look at your room, if you're in the ICU, a lot of ICUs have a sharp, like you have a cart with all your needles and all your things there. And if you look at most ICUs, you'd have to turn your back to your patient or your family member while you're drawing up meds or getting sharps out of that cart. And that's yeah. a real issue because you don't know who What's I had one time yeah. I was in Baltimore and my patient had had drugs in her hoo-ha. And when she got up to go to the bathroom, they fell out and we threw them out. You know, I was like, home girl, can't keep these. And so then her boyfriend came, which your bo her boyfriend was really her pimp. And he came at me over the bed looking for the drugs. And luckily there we have panic buttons on our badge, whatever. I pushed the vocera and everybody came running. It was okay. But I still had to defend myself for a good 30 to 45 seconds before I yell, I need help in here. And everybody knew what was going on because I was banging crap around, but it's really scary. And had I, had I have been able to understand that probably that person in that room be, be thinking that something could happen, I probably wouldn't have put myself between the bed and the patient and mm -hmm. on the other side of the room to where I got stuck. That's, Maybe ask them to leave or move or, you know, just being more situationally. That, yeah, that seems like such a, like, it seems so common sense and yet it so isn't because I can think of how many times I've walked into a room, my back to the patient, my, not even, not even paying one ounce of attention to who's in the room, what, where's the patient in the room, like just, oh, you know, let me grab some soap and, you know, look out the, like, that is really interesting how just that one thing, just that one thing of paying could attention saved, to. And it could have saved someone's life. Yeah. You know, um, the same gentleman who uh, made up the training protocol based on his, his security program um, that he was studying. Um, kind of had the idea for all this. He has a distance technique. This Sam, did you say? Sam. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we met. We I think we met Sam, and we yeah. met um, Sam and, the uh, your uber smart nurse. What's her name? Victoria. Victoria. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So Sam has this thing when you're fighting. So he's an MMA fighter, and when he he taught me how to hit on the bag a little bit when we were doing some of our physical stuff. He's like, you know, your num your one punch is really to get your distance. You know, you tap to figure out how far that person is away from you um, and their reach because they're going to hit back. So one of the things that you can do is when you go in and you assess your patient, you can offer them something. Here, can you hold this for me? Or can you, here's your cup of water. As they reach for the water, take a step back. See how strong they are, how far they can reach, how, how good they are with their tactile senses, especially an alcoholic patient. You can really, really just see how in the ED or psych patient, how likely they are to move towards you or away from you. Um, and then you can determine how far you can comfortably get without, by providing care, 
but not getting in their space. You know, and if the patient is verbally escalating, we move them from a, a regular caution to a yellow. And at yellow, it's just like, hey, um, have your buddy, you know, hey, Bob, I'm going to run into 204. When I did my distance thing with him, he seemed to be really agitated. So just keep an ear out for me. Then if he yeah. starts yelling and your code word is, I don't know, bananas, spaghetti, <laughs> you yell spaghetti and Bob comes in and he does that 90 degree. We have already avoided a situation where I was assaulted because I knew from my distancing and my assessment on the first part of going into the room, I was situationally aware. And Bob, I tagged Bob already. Hey, this patient, and then you can even do the magnet system and put that yellow magnet on the door. Patients patients don't know what that means. Family doesn't know what that means, but we Mm -hmm. know that that means that this patient, you should proceed with caution. If it's a red magnet, we're going to be getting out our bite pro before you go in the room. And then you're going to be getting a second person and maybe notify security that you're entering the room now. I and- just, I bet this stuff is, I mean, to me, this has to be coming because it, there was just nothing in the hospital I worked at for 10 years. And the problem nothing. is security is controlled by different private companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some security agencies can touch patients. Some can't, you have to wait and call 911. And while we're waiting and calling 911, that patient's beating me with a metal mop as security stands there and looks at them. All right, so do you have a, do you have a question? Cause I have a question for Melissa. Um, I was just going to kind of recap and uh, my, <laughs> go ask your question and I, then I'll maybe, do my... maybe it'll be the same track as yours. Well, okay, so <laughs> all of this stuff has been so fascinating for nurses. But I want to ask you, you seem like, I mean, you're fire girl. Have you always been like this? Unfortunately, my poor parents. What <laughs> is it? Has it, ha, have you, have you, since you were little, have you come up with ideas? Have you like, what, no, where did I that come was, from? I really got frustrated with like, like I said, I couldn't find a job. I like, it wasn't one the job and it wasn't the patients. It wasn't really the people I worked with. It was the systems. And I can remember driving home crying because just I had this terrible day and people would always be like, Mel, you're so positive. Like, how are you? You know, you're so upbeat. You're always happy, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I'm not really happy. I just choose to put that out to other people because I don't know what their home life is like. I don't know what their experiences is like. You know, if I can make one person's day better, you know, then that's what I'm going to do. And I kept telling everyone I worked with when something terrible would happen, I'd be like, you don't deserve that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be here. This is not okay. And I'm going to come, I'm coming back. (laughs) Like, let me go and get the information and get the people that I need, but I'm coming back and we're going to correct this because I can't sleep at night. Like everybody will tell you, Sam, Victoria, Raymond, I will text them at two in the morning because I am on the treadmill running, thinking about the next thing that I want to do for nursing. And you know, it's, it's Florence Nightingale really, she was the same way. People talk crap about her because, you know, racism and stuff like that now that's coming out, but you know, that's the, the time and the era she was in. But uh, I think that there's something to be learned by her and other nurse innovators and, and nursing theorists even as she was dying of pain and agony, she was still writing letters. She was still doing what she was telling generals to go F themselves so she could feed the troops or have safe environments for them. And it's people like that that are going to move nursing forward. You know, if she sat down when every executive or every general told her no, then we would never have hand hygiene. I mean, where would we be? Yeah. I, just- I love Karen. I love I'm coming back. Just so you know. No, just note that as a title. You'll see my face again. You <laughs> I'll call you back. Just so as you know. a title, yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, I was. This is what I would wasn't. This wasn't what I was going to say. But I think it's an important point to bring up. I was just listening. I got this audio book. Um, Matthias Desnet, uh, the psychology of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? And, mm-hmm. and he talks about mass formation and, but I'm at this chapter, I think it's like chapter four or five in the book. Um, and he was talking about burnout and how the meaning has been taken out of so many professions and so many works. And, and, and he even mentioned nursing, but not specifically. So I kind of trailed off on my own. I'm like, 
burnout is becoming such a big thing, but you're unfuck with the bull. You're bulletproof if there's meaning in your work, but we've been taken, all of it's just been sucked right out of our profession. We're too busy. There's too many redundancies. First of all, we're not safe, right? So you're handling that part, right? Second of all, there's so many redundancies. We can't do the thing that we went into nursing to do in the first place and take care of people. That's where all the meaningfulness is. And we're getting burnt out because we're doing all this meaningless bullshit instead of, and and then the patient we're suffering, the patients are suffering. Patients are suffering. I mean, and it's, I'll be back. You know, it, it has to change because nurses, they don't understand why am I so burnt out because they don't see the lack of meaning, it's the lack of meaning. And yeah. they're, they, they, you know, not, not as a victim. I hate to be a complainer, Mel, and I got that about you too. Just to, to just sit there and whine and complain about things and not do anything about it is, uh, is, is worse than the actual problem itself. Yeah, That's more toxic. But as and a I, pointing out what is the problem? We're getting burnt out because the meaning has been drained right out of it and nobody sees that. So they're not doing anything about it. And if they're not I've, going to accept breath work, if they're not going to, you know, you have multiple tears that you're trying to keep the, keep the, <laughs> sorry. I always get to this point in the podcast where I'm drinking from a fire hose. It's like plugged in, in the back of my head and there's and your brain straw. doesn't work as fast Every time, every time, it's like, 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 it's like uh, that movie, Bruce Almighty. Yeah, it's because your brain works faster than your mouth. Yes, exactly. It's It's like I'm downloading too much and there's not so fast enough. Yes. You're uh, addressing multiple paradigms where meaning has been sucked away. Yes. People have said to me, Mel, you're trying to do too much at one time. Focus on one thing. I said, but it's all together. Yeah. How Uh can I tell a nurse that she could be safe in her environment when she doesn't even know that she's unsafe because she's not self-aware? Yeah. Because Uh she doesn't have time to even take care of herself. Yep. Well, it's it's like that that, um, Zen Buddhist story where there's five blind men and they're all feeling different parts of an elephant no this feels like it's it must be a snake mm-hmm. one's by the tail and one's by the leg and going no it's a tree trunk and then one's at the elephant's tusk and one's at the elephant's trunk they all think it's something different so when people are on the outside looking at what you're doing they think you're doing all these different things but you see the whole elephant yeah it's right. all the same thing and it's it has been thing. difficult like as an as an entrepreneurial and in that journey to just constantly be pivoting you know if it doesn't work this way then how does it And it's more of, I could have went to school and been an FNP and left the bedside and went off or got my MBA and been an administrator or do do whatever. But I believe in the profession of nursing, an RN, a CNA. I've seen what a good CNA can do. A good CNA is your best resource. You know, a great Mm -hmm. LPN, you know, and I've seen I believe in that old nurses got on their horses and rode out to patients in the rain and delivered babies, you know, and the military has been with us since the beginning of nursing, right? We were the, the hands and the heart for all of our soldiers, sailors, and Marines since the beginning of time, since Sparta, the women and the nurses were caring for people and providing remedies. And now we just went through our war. We went through this war. And now that the military has been so gracious and standing up and saying, look, we have all of this research. We have all of this knowledge in this department. We want to give it to you and work with you. And I think that for me has been the most humbling collaboration really is yeah. like this idea that now we've experienced loss, you know, more nurses were killed in COVID than in World War One, And the majority of them were Filipino and Hispanic. And so the idea of wanting that military community, now we know what it likes, what it's like to lose brothers and sisters to something uncontrollable. Um, We know the guilt that that some of them have experienced. So, and now that PTSD has become a significant issue for me, I'm like, man, this is, this is not okay. We've got to do something for this. We have to do something and, you know, utilizing veterans who have this awesome skill set that can often 
get out of the military and not find a job? It's ridiculous. I was in the military and I have to say that that them, the military growing me up as a nurse right out of college was probably the best experience I ever could have because they, they, they cared about teamwork. They had resources. They taught you everything they knew. Like, and they're out there in the field, right? Yeah, like that's they have... cardiac tissue because that's what you yep. got to plug that wound till you can get yep. surgery, you know? And yep. I think that's the type of innovation that it's going to take to move us forward in healthcare and nurses, nurses and of... soldiers, man, the yeah. two yeah. most trusted professions. Why aren't yep. they, why haven't yep. they been doing more together? And I think that there's such a chance now. I feel like people look at healthcare and think, oh gosh, it's such a mess. Did you see Amazon like got rid of Amazon? Yeah, I saw. Yeah. Even they're like, yeah, we're not touching this. This is one medical. I think it's the one medical merger. So I'm hoping they'll still stay involved. They haven't had Amazon care and they just announced that they're getting rid of it. It was a whole like Google, you know, is taking over the healthcare space too. And I think Amazon got their feet in and they were like, this is a shit show. We're out. (laughs) Well, and it's because there's big players that keep a hold on the industry. And I don't think it's because I tell nurses this all the time. When we go out to places and they're like, nursing administration doesn't care. That's crap. Or they wouldn't have brought us here. They do care. They just don't know what to do. They really don't know what to do because they're taught from somewhere. And a lot of, they're not at the bedside to see where innovation can happen. And I think that people like Dan who are doing the Ohio innovation, you know, you can get your master's Mm -hmm. now in nursing innovation and things like that. I think those organizations are the ones that are going to be driving nursing as a profession. Because if you go to a business meeting, there is no lateral violence. There isn't. I mean, right. There's, there's not. a lot of, I mean, I shouldn't say there isn't, but it's but, less, you know, and it's, yeah. it's more of a, uh, the business world has really opened to my eyes about what a profession is and how a profession should operate and how people um, should be respected. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes from, like I said, being self-aware. And understanding that you can't change anything that's happening. You can't change your assignment. You can't change the fact that your patient is crashing. You can't change that. But you can change how you respond. And once you start taking your response into your own hands, then you feel a lot less stressed for the day. Because you're like, look, I'm doing the best I can. And my best is always good enough. Because it's response ability, Mm -hmm. the ability to respond. And a lot of nursing schools are now teaching this kind of thing. There's a couple of schools. I've spoken um, at a couple different um, universities, and they they um, are integrating the mindfulness meditation, some of the neuroscience, um, some of that uh, you know practicality. So, you know, just being able to use it in the space when you're there is really important. It's not just sitting at home and meditating on a mat. It's how do I stay connected and empathetic without letting it consume me. And that's kind of, I think young nurses are really in it to help. I mean, I was so humbled after the pandemic, I spoke at a, um, a, like a semester, I think there were like semester two or three nursing students. And they just wanted to hear about, you know, some of the stuff that I used to deal with stress. And they wrote me the most beautiful letters afterward. Like, mm-hmm. we're just so grateful for Mel. And she's, you know, said so much. I want to be a nurse because my grandmother had this disease and I took care of her. And I'm like, these people watched us on the news wear fucking trash bags. And then they signed up to go to nursing school. Like they are the heroes, not, not us who got stuck in the middle of it and are awfulizing and bullying each other. It's these new nurses and 40% of nurses are going to leave after they finish their first year. We're already seeing it just on the podcast, Mel. I mean, we see young nurses interview young nurses who are like, yep, I burned out in six months. I was out of there. Decided to go start my own thing. And federal government's going to give education all this money to bolster the nursing workforce. But once they get out there into these environments that are literally toxic, what are we going to do? 
They're going to be out. And I feel like it's up to us. It's up to us to come back and make a difference. It's up to the people. Yeah, it's like training, them. like paying to train the gladiators that you're throwing into the Coliseum <laughs> the <arena>. the Lions. <laughs> right? Know. You're like, good luck. <laughs> Have fun. You're getting eaten. <laughs> also, VR has this really great gladiator game. This I And it was really scary. Like, have you ever played zombies on VR? Because I screamed. Like, I screamed like I was dying. So I know that the VR capabilities will work. Yeah, there's uh, sandbox. I took Andre yeah. to Sandbox VR. Didn't I take you there? Sandbox yeah. VR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was, yeah, it's pretty um, intense. My palms are sweating thinking about it. <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah, that's a great application for what you're doing. What does your day-to-day look like now that you're like, you've got all these so I'm still irons working. in the fire? Yeah, I'm still working because I believe in putting um, the money that we are making back into the business and paying my employees first um, so that they can do what they want to do. Um, so uh, I work in a cath lab um, Monday through Friday. Um, I'm a single mom with three boys. So my youngest is four. I have a four, a six, and an eight. My oldest has autism, very high functioning, but sometimes a little difficult to deal with. Um, and their dad lives on the East Coast and I live in Texas. So I just moved across the country to be here near Austin to pitch to some tech companies and kind of get this off the ground a little bit more. Um, I drove a 28-foot U-Haul across the country by myself. So anybody who thinks they can't move and change your situation, that's crap. You can do it. Um, and it's been a wonderful experience. The organization I'm working for now is probably the best job I've ever had. Um, they're like a family, um, and I couldn't be more happy to be there. Um, it allows me to um, work after work. So I usually get home. I'm around 4 o'clock, and then I take call about 14 days of call a month, so every other day. Um, and then I work on Cortex. I also coach gymnastics at the local gymnastics. Gym oh, you do. There's three of us gym, little gymnasts. Were you yeah. gymnast? Yeah. So I did gymnastics till, um, till I was older and I ended up just loving coaching. I've coached since I was 15 and, oh, um, awesome. and all kinds of gyms. So, and my boys do it now. So it's nice to be in the gym with them and kind of bebop around. Such um, a great sport for kids. Yeah, yeah such a great so sport. Good. That's, I think, a lot of my determination has come from that. Like, gymnastics mm-hmm. is such a hard sport. Like, it's yep. a really difficult sport. And, um, yep. you know, I can remember, like, icing my hands and the coach being like, all right, you got 14 more routines with bloody hands. I'm like, okay, I can do it, you know. So entrepreneurship mm, yeah. has definitely been a journey. I think there's a lot of um, trendy, like, oh, be an entrepreneur, be an influencer. And uh, then they get into it and they're like, oh, this is, like, really, really hard. Um, especially in the healthcare space as an RN, you know, I'm just a nurse um, to a lot of these executives and, you know, people are like, well, why don't you get your MBA? Why don't you do this? I'm like, look, Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't have an MBA and he builds a huge company. So if I can run in the private sector and learn everything I can from these awesome innovators, then hopefully we can just grow and create these really complex, you know, solutions to, to lots of the problems in healthcare that, that can be solved. Yep. Amen. Amen. Amen, sister. All right. So we'll do the uh the typical end of podcast. How do people get a hold of you? Because I I'm sure that people are gonna want to get a hold of you. So um they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, what well first, what can they get a hold of you for? I mean um, so we do have a couple free resources um that are going out. Uh we have obviously all the um meditation stuff, mindfulness stuff. Um they can do a online course um for their nurses. Um, or individual nurses, they're 15 minute videos or less. So they're really digestible. We also have some uh, meditations, guided meditations that you can use uh, prior to starting your shift or after you've lost a patient, just stuff to really kind of reground you and regroup you to continue with your day. Um, We do have some printables that we can give to hospitals like the breath work and things like that. They can hang up above their um, machines. Um, but we will be launching our clothing line soon, which will be really exciting. That's with the Bite Pro and some other really cool initiatives um, and our character. I'm really excited to introduce that. So sales now, um, there's a lot of character branding, like that idea of a superhero kind of selling your stuff, kind of like flow, you know, flow from progressive. Well, ours is <laughs> yeah. this really salty pirate um, that's been through a terrible hurricane, and that was COVID, and he he rose and is really leading his pirate crew of um, awesome people to hold fast to the ship and defend what's his. So 
Um, we're excited to launch that with the clothing line and Project Defend, which is us to do the research in different facilities. So now we're offering our program um, at a pro bono price to places that are interested. We're looking for EDs, mostly EDs, um, because they have the most uh, violence usually um, mm -hmm. and the most uh, least security. You know, you've kind of processed the patient by the time they go to the floor, but that ED, anybody's walking in. So we really want to be a resource to ED nurses. Um, so we offer individual training as well as the um, on-site coaching. Hear that ED nurses, ED nurse managers, ED nurse educators, ED, ED everything. Yeah, <laughs> you need to ED, talk to Mal. Call Mal. Call yep, Mal. And we, can, we are really awesome in that we understand that your budget is could be nothing to um, unlimited if your CEO says yes. Um, so we like to work with is those constraints. When the mandate comes down, we will be writing policy that is accessible to nurse managers so they can kind of plug and play um, on their unit that matches OSHA's recommendations so they won't have to kind of reinvent the wheel and create all that themselves. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, you're so fire. Thank you. You just guys. are. You're so fire. I love what you guys are doing. This is really cool. Um, you know, I think that nurses really need a space to be able to have work-life balance and be able to get their CEs without sitting in front of a computer. Um, Poking their eyes out being bored death by PowerPoint. So um, yeah, but I mean, what I saw recently was the CEs are just a pleasant side effect of it's actually undercover way to let people know about people like you, yeah. you know, come I'm get hoping. your CE, but it's like, it's like, yeah, me now. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's more like to uh, establish and grow this parallel thing, you know, yeah, CEs, yeah, CEs are great, but that's, that's the best way. I mean, educating yourself as nurses, medicine's always evolving. And I don't think you're really a good nurse if you're not keeping up with your education, to be honest. And it's not just doing hospital mandated, outdated CEs. It's reaching out to find the newest way to, to treat your patient with whatever disease you commonly see. Well, um, you know, what's so cool about it too, is it's like, we are so un uniquely qualified to teach each other stuff. And there hasn't really one, been do that. One, teach one. <laughs> there hasn't really been that movement, right? Like, yes, in nursing school, some, but like, why is there not a hub where we can, all of us can put our content on, we can because get Because we're eat. included with room and board still. Yeah. Okay, I know, why. I know. That's what I mean. So, you know, oh, having you, having you um, on our platform and all these other, you know, nurses that are out there doing stuff. It's just so cool. Cause we all have and something the, we can teach. The biggest other. thing is to know that just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you can't do anything you want. No, no. Yeah. And that's, what, and that's what education, I just wrote this the other day. It's, it's not, it's not the trail of initials after somebody's name. It's not the kick-ass PowerPoint. It's not even the cutting edge content. It's when you get up from this chair after you've listened to a podcast or get out of your car at the end, you should be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like that's, the fact <laughs> that's that what it's about. Something that we shared today, like that 90 degree approach or being situationally aware or even distancing a patient by offering them a cup of water now needy could literally save someone from being assaulted. And drops Mike. Yeah. Mike drop. And how about all those nurses that are going to be inspired by your story and how you, you know, are working and you're a single mom and you're, you know, running cortex energy systems. Like that's super inspiring. And that, you know, that's when you're, a lot. when you're on your purpose, people, people will come to help you and support yeah. you. And I yep. truly believe that, that my job is to come back. I love it. I love it. Well, thank, thank you. you. Oh, wait, how, and how do they get a hold of you? Um, I don't we think have our website um, is cortexgold.com. So anybody can Google that. Gold stands for Guiding Organizational Leadership to Deliver. So our initiative-based program. So whatever the initiative is currently, it's uh, safety and security. Because um, we got to get that under lock to where we can fix all the other systems issues. Yep. Safety first, right? Yep. Safety third. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you guys. You're awesome. All right. Well, this is the part where we say goodbye and stop recording, but we don't really say goodbye. So okay. bye. Thanks. Bye. See you later. Renegades.